All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again in the Blockhouse, as always, with Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? It's good. I feel a little weird. So this episode might be a little weird. We'll see. Well, we are talking about a very weird album. So. One could say tragic. Yeah, one could say that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we are we are back. We are doing. Uh, kind of forgot every uh, every time we get an album, we we take two weeks off to do it. But we're also going to be changing things up a little bit. So we're not actually going to be referring to things as weeks anymore. We're not going to be doing a weekly podcast, if you will. We are going to be doing it by songs. We're not going to be taking long hiatuses or anything, but we're just going to stop pretending like it's going to come out every week <laughs> on time, like without a problem. Right. You know, we have full-time jobs. We're doing this for the for the love of the game. And and I think that for the most part, it's it's really, we just passed over 25,000 listens and it seems like all of these old episodes are getting a lot of play. So if you create an environment where people are listening to an episode and they feel like, oh, they're referencing other episodes or future episodes, because uh, I know what the future episodes are, then things are kind of working out. But when we start talking about things in the moment, in the present, uh, very particular, I don't know if this podcast is really built for something like that. Now, of course, we're going to be recommending stuff that we're consuming and, and doing that week that we're doing it. But hopefully these are things that we actually truly love and enjoy and will transcend just the one week that we are listening to something. So and I think you're better at that than I am. I'm very particular to the week. You're kind of like, well, I was doing this thing that I've loved my whole life. And you're just like throwing stuff out. So I think it's, I think it's just going to work out. I'm just trying not to feel guilty about it because uh, sometimes I just don't feel like editing these episodes. I just don't feel like doing it. Uh, one thing that people should be guilty about, though, is what we're listening to mm. this week. Well, um, there's a couple of people specifically that should be. A couple of people, and we're gonna, we're definitely going to get to those people because Kelly, this is a Bob Dylan podcast, and I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. You have heard roughly the same number of songs as the number of hot dogs that were eaten by world record holder Joey Chestnut in 15 minutes at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest in 2007. Jewish he has Hester. since beaten that record. It is now 74. Gross. In 15 minutes. With the bun and everything, right? And this week, we listen to... <sighs> that sounds terrible. Empire Burlesque from 1985. What a vintage year. All right, Kelly. We spent an entire two weeks with 1985 and Empire Burlesque specifically. We have a fun playlist and we have a mixed up confusion coming where we are going to be talking about 1985 in detail, kind of like what we did for Highway 61 and episode 50 where we did 1965. So stay tuned for that. That'll be out later in the week. How was your week with Empire Burlesque? Torturous. You listened to it a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I listened to it like six times, six or seven times. Which felt like too many times. Uh, sans tight connection to my heart because <laughs> I've been there and done that. And I don't need so, to. I episode, don't need to. episode 60, my friends. Yes. Go back and listen to tight connection. Yeah. Um, it was it was tough and it made me not want to listen to any music at all. So I didn't really listen to anything but this in our playlist. Uh, because it was that bad. It was rough. And I don't look forward to getting any of these songs individually. No. With the exception of maybe two. Yeah. yeah we're going to go over song by song, kind of like what we did with Highway before. Not going to get super deep into them. We're just going to kind of generally talk about it. Empire Burlesque was Bob Dylan's 23rd album. It was released on June 10th, 1985. It peaked at number 33 in the U.S. and 11 in the U.K. It was produced by Bob Dylan before he goes by Jack Frost. So this is not a Jack Frost production, huh. which uh, 
are excellent records. This Bob Dylan production is horrible, um, but it was remixed by Arthur Baker, which we'll get to later on. So Arthur Baker is just the producer, and Bob asked him, uh, basically he said, I want to make a record like Madonna or Prince, quote, I want to sell a lot of records. According to Michael Gray, quote, but dragging Arthur Baker into this arena in order to tart up Empire Burlesque delivered Dylan the worst of both worlds. It convinced neither the market that turns corporate rock into platinum, nor those whose ear and mind it is uh, that is on the lookout for alternative to the mainstream. If you use your position in the evil empire of the music business to send someone out to buy you disco clothes, you'll end up in the clothes of the emperor. And shopping for modishness is still shopping. <laughs> the album cover, and I'm sure a lot of people, uh, especially our age, who are not even alive, look at this and you're just like, whoa, that's like an encapsulation of the 80s. That was actually designed by a guy named Nick Egan. He also designed the 1985 box set Biograph, which is infinitely better. And we have them both here on our table looking at them. But he started out in college designing the cover art for Clash singles, White Man in Hammersmith Palace, uh, Tommy Gunn. His first chart-topping like cover that he did was uh, Dexie's Midnight Runners, Searching for Young Soul Rebels. Hmm. So that's pretty interesting. How did he get into this? I don't know, but he's still working. He's still doing his thing. Uh, Michael Gray, again, from the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia, has a great little... Uh, Great little uh, dig at Dylan here. He says uh, the the cover shows Dylan uh, in a perplexed fashion as a perplexed fashion victim in a Bruce Willis jacket. <laughs> Early Bob Dylan would have found the whole thing contemptible. Yeah, this album was recorded over multiple sessions, so it's really hard to track these things without getting super deep into it. He started at Intergalactic Studios with Al Green's band in 1984. That would have been a weird ass record. He went to the Delta Sound Studios where he played with Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones. He played with Anton Fig and John Paris, who were part of the David Letterman house band. He went to Cherokee Studios, where he played with Mike Campbell, uh, Benant Tench, and uh, Howie Epstein from the Heartbreakers. Um, and they recorded a couple album songs for this album. And then he uh, mixed a lot of it at the Power Station. One day, he played with the E Street Band members, uh, Roy Bitten and Steve Van Sant, on guitar and piano. Produced a pretty memorable rendition of a song that is not on this album and uh and then at the power station as well he played with uh sly dunbar and robbie shakespeare who were huge in the 1980s actually um they played with almost everyone you could possibly think of from the top to the bottom and bob dylan was still a major artist at this time so why wouldn't dunbar and shakespeare want to work with him and i think they add a lot guitar wise and bass wise to these songs so we're going to get into it we're just going to go song by song and like i said 1985 in general we'll get to it but kelly is there any opening thoughts? Did you have any high hopes? You had tight connection. Were you hoping for anything on this album? I know I've kind of trashed it for 66 episodes and then we happened to get it, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> Were you excited? Because did you think it was going to be any worse than it was? No, it was exactly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Okay. Yeah. I, I had low expectations and they were uh, met. That's fantastic. <laughs> On the ground. Well, you know, <laughs> Where they were. we do what we do. So we're going to go through the songs. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out the people on them. We're going to talk about the songs. And then I'm going to give you a status update because I listened to this album one time, full, fully through. And then I listened to other ones just to kind of like, just intersperse because I can't listen to the whole thing. Once oh, once over the last few weeks, not once in your lifetime. No, Although, no, no. I think I've probably heard it about three times in my life. It's a really bad record. And it's something that I don't like coming back to because it's a, it's a bummer. But... I have a status update at the end of every song, so we'll kind of keep keep pace with how I feel okay. as we go. All right, so take connection to my heart, the very first song that starts off this album. We're not going to talk about it. Go back and listen to episode 60. We're not going to waste our damn time. It's been too recent. It feels too fresh. 
too fresh. And the music video, I think, is also a great encapsulation for what this album has in store. And if you want to listen to that, we also did a mixed up confusion where we talked about, you know, MTV and uh, and just uh, music videos of that kind. So after that first song, I was in shock. Status update: shock. Song number two, seeing the real you at last. We've got Bob Dylan on electric guitar, Mike Campbell on electric guitar. So we got the 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 Heartbreakers are, are playing here. Uh, Don Heffington is on drums. Bob Glob is on bass. Uh, David Watson is on saxophone. So we're moving here. Uh, there's a lot of references in this song. Key Largo from 1948. Maltese Falcon, 1941. Mm-hmm. We talked about that guy. Uh, the Big Sleep, 1946. Bronco Billy, 1980. And The Hustler, 1961. So this song is a bunch of garbage. Just like Take Connection. Just like Take Connection. So uh, it feels appropriate to go right from Take Connection right to this uh so now listening to this whole album, Tight Connection definitely sets the theme and mm-hmm. tone of this album, which to me was, I'm sad, please take me back, which okay. is like the whole thing. Also, just like torn between, I hate you, I love you, women are the worst, oh, I love women so much. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> just Classic Dylan. Just awful. Yeah, when it started, it really like gave me like, Papa was a rolling stone for like a second, but the worst version of that. Oh, totally. I'd like to get you to change your mind But it looks like you won't From now on I'll be busy No, I am, like, and I'm trying to find, like, stuff I kind of like in it. I like, again, Mike Campbell is a competent, and I mean that in the best way, guitarist. He is a, he's good at solos, he's good at making songs sound good. And I like the dissonant guitars on this. Um, I like the plotting bass line. That's all I have to say. Yeah, the, so it, the music is not so bad. Sad listening to this album because they're like you can tell the guitarist is proficient. Like they, they're a good musician, and it just gets so bogged down. Well, there's and a so lot of overdubs. So that's what's interesting is that it's oh, not really? Mike Campbell for everything. No, no, no. Okay. So that's why every song is interesting because you're not talking about the same people. So it starts to make sense why some songs are better than others. So when you have Mike Campbell at the helm, these songs that I mean, seeing the real you at last is not a good song. But I don't hate it in a way that I do other ones because Mike Campbell at least makes it something of a rock song. Mm. Even just an 80s heartbreaker song. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world to have. You know, it's throwaway, but it gets much worse. It gets much, much worse. All I can think of was Huey Lewis in the the news, which is I felt about most of the Jordan's album. was just like, this is a Huey Lewis song. Yeah. And, and, And knowing that Bob Dylan wanted to make a bunch of money and sell a bunch of records. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense then. That he's kind of throwing all this shit up against the wall. It is jarring to hear his voice on top of these songs because these don't, I mean, I don't know enough to know anything, but like these aren't Bob Dylan songs. These are Huey Lewis songs that Bob Dylan is singing on for some reason. Yeah, it's true. My status update at the end of track two, emotional release. <laughs> track number three, I'll Remember You. We got Howie Epstein on bass, Jim Keltner on drums, Mike Campbell back on that electric guitar, Bob Dylan, Helm in the Pianos. And then, of course, we got the vocals of Carolyn Dennis, uh, Madeline Quebec. So they're going to be a part of this, unfortunately, this record. Uh, I, there's only like one moment where I don't mind the background singers, but this is not one of those moments I, I Yeah, it's not good. I mean, it's just a generic, weird 80s pop ballad that's just 
bad. The last song was like, women are deceitful and awful. And then this song is like, but uh, actually you were great. But aren't I great? Can we just agree that I also was great? <laughs> All I could think of during this song is that if I had a friend who walked up to me while I was listening to this song and I tried, I had to give them this song and I had to explain to them that Bob Dylan is the most influential artist of all time. <laughs> like if you're a time traveler or something? Or, or yeah, just, even just No, they just walk up and they're just like, oh, tell me about this Bob Dylan character. Let me just listen to a song. And then I had to give them this song, but then convince them that no, 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 he's actually the most talented, the most influential artist of the 20th century, if not of all time. I would lose that friend. I would never be able to be friends with that person again. And that's all I could think of during this song. This song is such a is such a denigrated position from from Bob Dylan, even just like the, the myth of Bob Dylan. So uh, status update at the end of this, depression and isolation, obviously. <laughs> all right, Kelly, track four, Clean Cut Kid. Ah, yikes. He's just a clean cut kid, but they made a killer out of him. That's what, what they, they did. did. Oh, yeah. This song was probably, maybe, you can make the case that it's the best one on, on yeah. this. I think this tight connection and, and probably Dark Eyes later on. Do you put tight connection in there? Wow. There's uh, there's stuff going on in Tight Connection that listening to this, how vapid all the rest of this is. At least Tight Connection had a story. It had the man with the blue power wig. blue wig. Oh my god! Yeah. Who's gonna get shot later for yeah. resisting arrest? I mean, there's something there. Right. And we listened to the the alternate version of that, you know, which was actually not so bad. Mm, true. It was really Tight Connection yeah. that was bad. The song was good. These songs aren't that great. Clean Cut Kid was a song that he made, but then gave to other people, and then it was like, oh. <laughs> so that's why that's why it's kind of a strange and I think he does that with songs too when he gives them away especially for like uh, All Along the Watchtower he then when he takes it back he takes it all back and he t- like he never plays the acoustic version of it anymore he plays Jimi Hendrix's version of it mm. so I think there's a lot of this going on too where these songs exist out in the world and he's like I want it back because it is my song but he's gonna obviously sing it and play it and do all the stuff as other artists who have covered this already does right do, so yeah lyrically I think it's really good um, there's couple of lines the send him to a napalm health spa mm, realistic set up i love that and um bought the american dream but it put him in debt and i was mm-hmm. like oh that's such a good line yeah it's good uh but musically it's a it's, de- it's fucking awful it's just like deplorable see but i, I like the juxtaposition that's another good one where it's just i like so it when ben gibbard does it i don't like 80s terrible bob dylan doing it. that's fair that's fair and i thought just the whole time you did this better with, with god on our side you yes know, that's yeah, a better yeah. better song um, much more pointed and um, dramatic than than this, which which doesn't have who who in it. Wow. True, but I also wow. don't super super hate that. So, anyways, the guitar on this one uh, was actually Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones. So that sort of changes it a little bit and makes it, it makes a little more sense, especially with the Stones from the nineteen eighties. And um, he Ronnie Wood had an interesting little take too, which I don't fully believe from him, but I think it's pretty interesting. He said, "quote." The engineers would say, Bob, we don't need this. And he'd say, oh, okay. And then they would do a mix to his ears. And he'd just stand outside and let them do it. And I'd be saying, hey, hey, you can't let these guys do that. Look, they're off, uh, taking off the background vocals. Or what about the drums? But there would be something going on in the back of his head that didn't allow him to interfere. And yet, if he'd gone into the control room with the dominance that he had had while he was cutting the stuff, it would have been mind-bending. <laughs> And that's another Bob Dylan trope too, where it's always like, if Bob had full control, right. it would be other a people masterpiece. Made this awful. Other people made this bad. Yeah. Uh, and so Ronnie obviously only played on this one song. He just came in the studio and fucking played. He's a Rolling Stone. He's doing his thing. Bob's his friend. That's fine. So I don't think 
it's a very credible take. But it, he's probably not wrong. I mean, the Bob Dylan of the '80s is obviously very, you know, skittish about his his art and will listen to other people more than he'll listen to himself because he'll cut a blind Willie McTell and then listen to it and say that's that can't go on there and that's a huge huge mistake and he's well, still he, making he's mistakes. obviously going through an identity crisis and this all is just like whatever will make me money I don't care I have no doesn't matter of oh, course yeah. whatever you think is good is fine more dollars yes thank you oh and and then personal life stuff I mean I don't know how to always incorporate this stuff but he's going through we talked about it a little bit during our Grateful Dead episode but he's about to go on a whole like he's just trying to make money because he owes money to Sarah he owes money to people to pay for his children that are, exist out in the world and we're talking about Carolyn Dennis uh, just now because you were looking through the biograph photos and that's a whole nother story that we haven't really been able to touch on yet in this show because there's not really a good time because everything is sort of Sarah, Sarah forever. Because mm. even now, Joan Baez gets a little shout out in, in this album and I'm like, ah, do I even want to mention it? Who cares? Like Joan Baez is such a small part of like his obsession with Sarah and like Sarah being this sort of thing. So I don't know. I guess we'll kind of get to it as we as we go on. All I can say about Clean Cut Kid is that he sounds refreshed. I think he sounds different than the rest of them, and maybe it's just Ronnie Wood being there. Maybe it's just the Johnniness of the song. Hmm. But I kind of liked his vocals. I liked how like upbeat he was, because the rest of it to me sounds so thin and wiry, and he just sounds bad. He just sounds bad across the. Oh, song. I mean, I he know. definitely sounds like why people don't like Bob Dylan in this album. The yeah. majority of like, it's, it's that. Yeah. So status update: physical illness. <laughs> Track number five, middle of the record, maybe. Maybe one of the worst things I've ever heard. Never Gonna Be the Same Again. It's called Never Gonna the Same Again on Spotify because no one gives a fuck enough to to change it. (laughs) Because no one probably fucking listens to this garbage. Uh, But this is the first time on this album, well, I guess Tech Connection had uh, Shakespeare and and, uh, Dunbar. But uh, Robbie Shakespeare is on bass, uh, drums for Sly Dunbar. Uh, Sid McGinnis from the David Letterman band as well as on electric guitar. Bob is on keyboards. And of course we have two synthesizers. Ann Clark, and Richard Shear, and of course, Carolyn Dennis. Carol Dennis is, uh, is on there as well. References in this to Shane, 1954, the Western Shane. Uh, what do you think about this one? I mean, I just started writing the words, I love you so much, take me back on top of every song, because it's just like, yeah, this, all these weird pop ballads with steel guitar in them, it's like he wants, just wanted to make something that sounded of the moment mm-hmm. but then he, he also wanted to be alternative like he couldn't let that part of himself that wanted to be a good songwriter and have a vision go yeah. so that's what you get is this terrible mashup of alt country and 80 synth pop <laughs> and what you get is synth chimes that lead you straight into a renaissance fair in the worst possible way yes. I was like I was going along with like oh yeah another shitty pop ballad and then suddenly it's like da-da, da-da. I'm like oh no what are we doing the joust is beginning yes. we have to go <laughs> where's my leg of uh, and meat? then just fucking backup singers as big as I could write it so bad yeah everything is offensive to me right off the bat it was um there's a hint when it's building up i I, maybe this is a mistake i don't know the 80s seem like a huge mistake but like there's a weird moment where it's just one drum hit and then it kind of goes away and i think it was a mistake i don't Hmm. think whoever was hitting the drums because i'm sure it was live enough you know the gator reverb they put on after to make it sound fake as hell but it's a real person doing something somewhere uh and so it kicks in for a second 
And I just remember listening to the song again. I was like physically offended by <laughs> that sound because it like it didn't start then. Mm-hmm. And it didn't start for a while because then Bob sort of starts singing it before the drums kick back in. I was like, what is, why did that one little drum beat hit early? Because no one cared. Because no, no one cared. One cared. <laughs> no one cared. My only note on this was like, the, the, the synths and the keyboards need to fucking chill. They need to chill out because I think they ruin it too. But you know what ruins it more than anything? The worst lyrics that have ever existed in lyric dumb. This, two thumbs way down, I have to say. Two thumbs way down. Uh, mainly for, sorry if I touch the place where your secrets are hid. <gasps> <laughs> Belinda Blink. Yeah, you do not come back from shit like that. Also, the one thing about this album too, there's so much baby. Baby, baby, oh, baby. Yeah, yeah. And that's a fucking 80s thing as well. Status update, panic and anxiety. <laughs> Song number six. So we're flipping the record over and we get a fucking tune that some people really, for some reason, like. And I think they like it because... I liked it. Oh my god. Well, they like it because it's like the opposite of his 80s, you know, like trust in God and you're fucking damned to hell and bullshit mm-hmm. and now it's like trust yourself. Why well, that's why I looked at lyrically. I thought it was okay. just like, this is a, a weird empowering song from Bob Dylan. That's like, a good point, yeah. It's that's got like that's the, the only reason I liked it. Well, and it's true because like Gotta Serve Somebody is, a, is probably his most famous song from that Christian period and the Gotta Serve Somebody is... Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord but you're gonna have to serve somebody you only have two choices, but you got to serve somebody. And this is saying, serve yourself. Yeah. And that, on the face of it, is is great. And uh, I also think that this song, uh, just lyrically, and kind of the way that it was musically, if this was given to somebody else, could have been a good soul track. Like, it has the bones of a good soul song. Yeah. So I was, like, listening to the potential of the song while I was listening to it more so than the song I was listening to. So, uh, yeah, lyrically in that, I think it made me like it a little bit more. I still didn't like it. I still wouldn't want to listen to it again. But, um, yeah, I, I did like the fact that it was like, yeah, trust yourself. You're, you're the only one that's going to be there for you, so you better trust yourself. Well, and, that's, and I did you note know, the same thing. I was like, I don't hate it. And I don't hate it again because Shakespeare, uh, Jim Keltner's playing the drums, but Mike Campbell again on electric guitar, like, there's just a little saving grace uh, there, and obviously uh, tension on keyboards too. Uh, there's extra percussion, and of course, Carol and, and Madeline are on the vocals, which uh, do ruin the song. And this is the first moment that I realized that Bob Dylan, not only singing "Baby" over and over again, also does. He's really bad at ooze. See, this was the one and only time that I liked it. And I think it was because it wasn't just him alone. It was layered with the backup singers, and it made a cool chord. Like, musically, it sounded neat. Like just when you like you, it was three voices at once. So it wasn't just Bob Dylan. So you're taking away that cloyingness that he's got during this album, and you're kind of, but you're you're fluffing it out with yeah. other bad shit. But it just made it a fun dynamic versus the thing that's been the whole album. So famously, the last episode we did, episode 65, Shelter from the Storm, you, uh, this is, and again, we're not so far off from this period, but at Budokan, you ref, you said, and these are the same people, Carol Dennis, Madeline, Quebec, they sounded like uh, ghosts haunting Bob yeah. Dylan. Do, do you feel that haunting vibe on <laughs> oh, this, yeah. or are they so high on cocaine that like, they cannot be haunting so much as like... They're just like a part of their like joint soul. Oh my know? god, that totally was what it was, right? They just did a bunch of drugs and they're just like, 
Well, Bob just oohing all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It just just that one moment, honestly, okay. just that gotcha. layered vocal of the three of them together for <laughs> for the point <laughs> five seconds it happens is okay. Is okay, <laughs> but that's to be solvable. Yes, they're haunting terrible ghosts. Haunting terrible ghosts. This song is a basic ass song. One thumb down. <laughs> Status update: anger and hostility. <laughs> number seven. <laughs> number seven. Now we've reached the meat. Uh, emotionally yours. Oh my god. Bass, Howie Epstein. Drums, Jim Keltner. Electric guitar, Mike Campbell. Bennett Tench uh, playing the organ. Bob Dylan on the piano. Richard Shear on the, synth- the synthesized horns, no less. Uh, the Heartbreakers, Jim Keltner. Like, these are great musicians playing on this song. So don't ever believe that just because they're good at music, they can't make something this bad. But I keep believing you're the This is my least favorite song on the album. Yeah, this is the worst one. 100%. Far and away. And mm-hmm. it was a breath of fresh air at the beginning because Bob was playing that piano. And I was actually kind of excited because I do I do not, as a rule, listen to this song. So I have forgotten this song. Like, oh, so maybe it's not that bad. No! Piano ballad and then the drums start. And then Dylan just starts singing about some fucking bullshit. And that's the problem. I uh, well, oh. yeah, just that monotone. So the guitar, I noticed on this song the most. I was like, the guitar is is not bad. Like the person playing it is is a good musician, and Mike it's Campbell. it's yeah. And you could just really hear it on this one. I think it's because I was trying to listen to not none of it, so I had to pick something that didn't want me to like kill myself, and that. Yeah. Oh, so you just like listen to the guitar and like trying to get your way through the song. Yeah. That's not a bad way to go because like every time he said, come baby, come baby, come over, come baby, come baby, baby, come, come. That's all I could think of. And then I was like, oh, that's a better song. That's a better, it's a damn better song. That's on. And I kept thinking the whole time that like Campbell or Tench would help, like the subtle organ could like rise above, but no. There was no, there was no rising above. Clinton Halen, of course, just to quote the two that I quote the most, uh, from Clinton Halen, quote, he had, however, picked up one useful technique on his recent travels around the American songbook. Pick a title phrase that on the surface seems to resonate with some romantic connotations, but means absolutely nothing. And in this instance, it wasn't even grammatically correct. It's like an episode of The Bachelor. Michael Gray said, quote, here is the shameful spectacle of a man whose early work avoids every pop dissimulation in work of unsurpassed pioneering clarity, individual vision, and vocal richness, now muling his thin vocal way through the thick murk of formulaic riffs, licks, and echo-laden AOR noises divine devised with a desperate eye on rock radio formats. Here is the artist whose mature intelligence revolutionized a love song in popular music, now reduced to lines like, you to me were true, you to me were the best. And, <laughs> and titles like, emotionally yours. <laughs> you to me. You, you to, to me. me were true. <laughs> you to me were the best. You sound like a fucking caveman. Yeah. This song, two thumbs down, touching the floor, <laughs> status update, guilt. <laughs> Track. Track eight. When the night comes falling from the sky. Uh, Bob Dylan, this is Disco Dylan. Mm. I can see through your wall. 
there ever was a disco villain. Uh, Robbie Shakespeare on bass, uh, Sly Dunbar on drums, Bob Dylan and Stu Kimball, and Al Cooper, who played the organ on Like a Rolling Stone. We've talked about Al Cooper a million mm-hmm. times. He showed up to fucking play electric guitar on this garbage. Urban Blight, the band, is on horns. Um, (laughs) Richard Shearer is back on vocal, uh, back on synthesizer. Uh, Madeline Quebec is on vocals. Uh, On the Waterfront is the one reference in this song from 1954. What did you think of this one? Uh, Give me strong, I need a hero vibes. Strong, Mm. loves a battlefield vibes. There's just those synth drums coming at you. Mm -hmm. But is that bad? Those songs aren't so bad. No, see, and that's why like, this song I, I gave a little bit of a break because it it went from this is like if you really stop thinking that it's Bob Dylan and like if it, when his voice is not there I, I can really let it happen like this is just another fun dramatic 80s synth song True. and the the theme is of I'm sad take me back is very much there mm-hmm. but in my head it got turned into a cinematic like we're having a battle on horseback something thing like ha- is happening like there's more because it went so far in that direction yeah that it made it more of a scene like it made it more of like this is this is the that theme of i'm sad take me back taken to like a medieval setting yeah well the ren fair was announced so this yeah is- exactly yeah this is it well no i think you're right i mean i think bob dylan especially the Christian Dillon is very apocalyptic in tone. There's so many. We've already had a bunch of apocalyptic type songs. This is another one of them. You know, this is the world coming to an end when the night comes falling from the sky. Like, is probably a religious song in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of that in here. But yeah, I mean, you can take it to the, the emotional battlefield. Love. Being the battlefield. <laughs> I think that's probably the wise the wise way to put it. We, we also listen to, uh, this is sort of an unprecedented step for the podcast, so bear with us. But I also put the, uh, the Bootleg Series Volume 1 through 3 version on there right after this. That was the version that was recorded with the E Street Band members, uh, Steve Van Zant and Roy Bitten on piano. What did you think about that version compared to the Empire Burlesque version? So I think listening to them back to back might have actually been a detriment because I was in that mode of like, no, this is like a campy, almost okay. ridiculous synth love battle song. Uh, and then to make it a, a rock song, which it, it just, it didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it in a different way. Like I, I didn't like either of them, but I don't know. I think this song by itself as a standalone song is a better song than that one but okay. listening to one right after another just because my head was in that space I was like you've taken away all of the campiness of it and left me now with the lyrics bare and the lyrics aren't that great Okay. so I didn't really like it and I also the piano got on my nerves so much because the the song musically the guitar and everything is okay but then the, the, all you can hear is that piano and it's just not very good and it, yeah, yeah. it's like going that over the fucking synthesizer yeah no i get that but i think i i like that music well you had a good you had a good mind space to be in to listen to that i mean Mm -hmm. love is a battlefield is a great way to think about it the campiness is a great way because you don't want to eliminate the campiness from the song if if you want it to remain a campy song like removing that doesn't make it automatically a dramatic song it makes it it could make it a bad song because i think that's what it takes it for me out of like a subjective i like this music or i don't like if you don't like synth pop you don't like it that's that's fine um 
but now I have to, now I'm confronted with the song itself. Yeah. Because it's now, because the way we talk about music, we break it down in a couple of ways. We break it down musically, the merits of that, and just also subjectively and culturally, like what, we bring all that stuff into it. Sure. So if I'm just taking this on the face of it, it's a ridiculous, can't be song. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go into it like that. I don't have to deep, like get into the minutia of, of the musicians and what's going on in the song because yeah. I don't care because it's obviously not that good. It's true. But now it's like, oh, now it's a rock song. There's people actually playing instruments. Not that they weren't before. No, no, no. But like, well, uh... they before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I guess that's a fair, that's a fair point. It's hard to, to do that too when you're listening to a full album and you want to come in hot. I mean, I, I fucking hate this album. And, uh, and getting to this point, I've just listened to that one through three version. And this is just my baggage. So many times as a part of the whole bootleg series, uh, which I've listened to front to back, just I can't even count how many times. I used to just play those consistently in my car when I was 15, 16, 17. Uh, so to, to hear this, like the original, the real version, if you will, it's always just been so jarring. Yeah, I just true. want the other one to exist because I love that song mm-hmm. in a way that I, I really fucking hate this song. Uh, this one, like my, uh, I mean, I, two thumbs have fallen off at this point. Oh, they're, man. They're gone. No thumbs. They're gone. Whereas I think that the E Street version is excellent. And that might just, again, be sort of a E Street. I, I enjoy that. But I think that the song is, um, I do like the lyrics of it. And I think as we delve into it in the future, um, we can get deeper into them. Because I really like them. And I don't think, like, the Ren fairness falls away. I think it's, it is like a battlefield type mm. of song. But if you want to have it in the synth pop 85 world, then, then Empire Burlesque is probably your bag. Status update for me, uh, difficulty resuming normal routines. <laughs> this is like like a programmer log. <laughs> Track number nine. We're almost done. Something's burning, baby. I'm sad. Take me back. Take me back. <laughs> Starts off as like a funeral dirge, which I think was appropriate. Mm. Um, oh, I put uh, Don't Come Around Here No More. It has the same kind of foggy drum, like... Yeah distant drumming um, so that made me think of that the Tom Petty song yeah something is burning baby are you There's not a whole lot of highlights on this album, and I think that this one, weirdly enough, I, I didn't hate. Yeah, this, I, I mean, I kind of like this. Not just don't come around here anymore, but this definitely gave me a Tom Petty vibe, period. Yeah, totally. It could easily be one of the songs. And these, ironically, is one of the songs that do not feature, <laughs> feature a heartbreaker. heartbreaker at all. No, we got Shakespeare uh, on bass. We've got uh, Don Heffington back on drums from way back before. Uh, we got Ira Ingber. Uh, I think another, I think he's, uh, he's actually just his own person. Uh, on electric guitar, so just kind of a random guy. Richard Shear back on the uh, synthesizer, and Madeline go back on the vocals. Um, I think that anything in the 19... Especially Bob Dylan in the 1980s, I think a song, even if it's super 80s but is a good song, you let it you let it slide. There's enough... Uh, like, aesthetically, I don't like the 80s, and I hate, like, this gated reverb drum sound and all of this, but if the song is good, then you can let that 80s stuff go. And I let the 80s stuff go in this song, because I think that the song is... I think it sounds pretty good. See, and I don't hate the euphony yeah, of the nice, uh, of the 80s nice. uh, at all. Okay. Especially in certain, like, I fucking I enjoy New Wave. I love me some goth rock 80s stuff. Um, 
but this none of this is good this this <laughs> this song i put not the worst is all I really wrote for yeah. it. I, I, my only note was really just there's too many fucking babies. Like literally the entire, all the verses are baby, baby, baby. Well, again. the song is called Something's Burning. I here. know, but you gotta chill on the babies. Um, I was, <laughs> I, you know, I think that the bridge was honestly surprising when he just kind of like comes out of nowhere and he's like, I can feel it in the night when I think of you. Like it just out of nowhere, uh, every, the tempo just kind of switches, which was kind of nice because it was kind of a slower song. Um, but yeah, and the background singers were pretty effective. I think this was the only song where I enjoyed them. Um, but then until the end where Dylan, who we've established is bad at ooze, decides to close out <laughs> this song with ooze. And uh, it's not great. Status update, hopefulness. This song was such a palate cleanser and like such a welcome reprieve from the garbage. <laughs> the nine tracks before it just dumped on you. Um, so even though it's a little simple, it's like it's miles, miles ahead of the rest of the album. And I love this so much. So. Yeah. I also like I came through the looking glass in the end because I saw this as almost an encapsulation of all of Empire Burlesque. Because in this song, without getting super deep into it. We have uh, talk about a soldier and his, his mom looking for him or whatever, mm -hmm. which is clean cut kid. Uh, we get flames, obviously something burning baby when he says, uh, all I feel is heat and flame and all I see are dark eyes. We got the French girl and the drunken man, which makes almost no sense, but it makes as much <laughs> sense as the man in the powder blue wig who gets shot later for resisting arrest. It's that cinematic quality that the two of them slightly share. Which I really, really love. And I think the ending is, is really great. Oh, time is short and the days are sweet and passion rules the arrow that flies. A million faces at my feet and all I see is dark eyes. Gorgeous. That's fucking gorgeous. Even if you believe in a world of uh, when the night came falling from the sky and there's like, you know, love is a battlefield mm -hmm. type of like uh, apocalypse, if you will. And he's staring down into some abyss and he's looking at millions of faces. And obviously you can take that as Bob Dylan on a stage type of thing, which he's written about throughout his entire career. But like, that's just a chilling, like, just imagine, like, being up on a stage or something, a million faces looking at you, and all you see is, like, dark eyes that aren't even looking back at you, because, mm. what, they're zombies, they're, you know, emotionally, um, you know, empty people, who knows, I don't really know, and then I was doing something, too, where I was like, this album is genius, oh, so, no, and I was like, he makes the fillers, <laughs> like, I'll remember you, never gonna be the same again, emotionally yours, he wrote, those are bad on purpose, because they're commentary on the 1980s songs that pass off love and feelings. And then I thought, of course, that's all bullshit. And I was like, you fucking apologist. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, that, and that, that feeling alone, we do that with Dylan so much. We create some fake-ass, like, artificial genius. Uh, we make a journey of chaos from tight connection to resignation and dark eyes. And we see, like... The majority of the album, I think that's one thing that sticks with people, Bob Dylan fans, is that they think that he, he wrote these songs and these albums to get people off of his back. I, The more I've come to like really dive into these songs, the less I see that. I don't see Bob Dylan being like, I'm so famous that I want to make bad music so people get off my back and leave me alone. Because he, he, he headlined Live Aid this year. This album's awful. But I do want to say, because I feel like we don't mention it enough, I know that a lot of people worked on this. I know there's a lot of talented musicians behind it. I've never made an, an album of music. So, like, I'll do 
to the people that actually made this album. Unfortunately, it is awful. Yes. But you tried. Kind of. You gave it a shot. (laughs) And if this was your only shot, I would feel more bad. I would feel more bad. I would feel worse (laughs) about uh, about shitting on it. But on some level, you guys have made better stuff. Mm -hmm. And this just feels very And I guess that's what it is. It's like, you're capable of more. And people know you're capable of more. So Mm -hmm. why did you bother? Well, the answer was money. Oh, 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 was there there money? Okay. Well, Kelly, to validate our adolescence and confuse memory with culture, what else were you doing this week? Nice. Um, Like I said, I had a really hard time listening to any music because I was, not only was our 1985 playlist sprawling, because guess what? A whole year of music is a lot of music. Um, So I was basically only listening to that along with this album. And uh, so, so no new music, which is not off brand for me no. but um, I watched the movie Life After Beth with Aubrey Plaza that's on Netflix oh. it's about her turning into a zombie it's supposed cool. to be a dark comedy but it forgot that it was supposed to be a comedy mm-hmm. um, so it's mostly just a weird movie but it's okay okay yeah. I listened to some, some new music uh, a band called Idols Joy is an Act of Resistance is a huge I guess apparently it's like a huge thing now people are really loving this so like a post-hardcore hmm. sort of like a kind of like fucked up and I don't know but really really good and it's very very affirmational. It's just really great. It's good to hear like hardcore bands. I love hardcore bands that like take stands. Like it's just really good. I think it's a very affirmational record, and it's good to hear in 2018. Alkaline Trio came back. Oh shit! Weren't they gearing up for that for a while? Yeah, I mean they've. This is the first record in five years. Uh, it's called "Is This Thing Cursed." I was not super excited for it because I have not really liked anything that they've done like over the moon into it since 2004. So it's been a very long time. Yeah, this album's fucking amazing. Like, man, they came back. They came back hard. So I highly recommend that if you're, like, sort of on the fence with Alkaline Trio, which I definitely was. Um, I think it's really great. Aaron Lee Tasjan, I've talked about on the podcast before. I saw him randomly one night in Portland, just stumbled upon him at the Annex Bar. Really? After, um, I think you were there, after we did uh, the Oregon Beer Festival. Mm. You remember that? Down at the waterfront, Stephen was uh, working it or whatever. We all went to the Annex after that. Damn. It might have just been me I went Stephen to work. and Kendra. Okay. I had to go to work. And maybe Angel was there. Yeah. But Stephen cried at Aaron Lee Tasjan. I thought that was a bit bridge too far. How but, have I never heard this story? Oh, yeah. No, no. But he was amazing. And he was just playing down at the bottom of the annex, you know, on, on Burnside. And he was just incredible. And, like, we went home and we just started listening to it. And at that time, he just had, like, an EP. But now he's apparently blown up. And he's fantastic. Karma for Cheap is a great, another great record. It's just great, like, alt rock. Um, sort of like, like a Wilco type of, you know, just... Big bands playing uh, really, really catchy songs. Uh, highly recommended. Waxahachie, mm. new EP came out. Um, it's piano-driven. Not super into it, but I went back and re-listened to Out in the Storm from 2017. And that album is front to back. Absolutely amazing. And I can't stop listening to Murder by Death's album. Cellos, man. Cellos. Yeah. These songs that they write are like, some of them are kind of simplistic, but that cello is, what an emotional instrument. Mm-hmm. Like, it can just get underneath a lyric and, like, make you want to cry. Yep. Even though it has, the song itself is pretty standard, they are incredible at that. And I just keep, I marvel, I marvel at their ability to do that. And then I'm in season three of Community again. Are you watching Community? <laughs> Hell yeah. So a huge, uh, heavy week for, for both of us. We did a lot of stuff because we had to forget about this fucking album. It's true. And it's over, Kelly. We're done. We're done oh forever. But this podcast is not over because we are really a podcast did you know you just listened to us for about 40 minutes we every single week we pick a bob dylan song and you can follow along with us at sotw pod everything 
That's on Twitter. That's on Facebook. That's on Instagram. We also have a Patreon. We do. You can give us money. If you if you really want more than anything for us to have an episode every weekly, timely, at the same time, every week. Well, we can't do that and have a full-time job. And if you could give us some money, that would be great. Is that we, a little too pandering? No, so. we also do, <laughs> uh, we do mix-up confusions. We do supplemental series and stuff. And if there were people following, I would I, there would definitely be more of an incentive to get that done and put it out on a, on a schedule that we sort of pre-arrange, Kelly and I. But if you were a Patreon subscriber, the moment I was done editing them, I would give them to you immediately, even if they're not coming out for months. Yeah. So highly recommended to give us a couple bucks because we try to do this, but it's kind of tough when you're working a full-time job. No complaints here though. We love doing the show and it's just fun to just do. And that was the whole point. And if we didn't like doing it, we wouldn't do it. That's true. End of the day. Uh, But do follow us on on Twitter and shit. That shit's free. Follow us. Tell people about it. Um, Lots of people have been listening and we definitely appreciate it. This is the moment in the show where we used to pick next week's song but we're just going to pick the next song. See what I did there? <laughs> so the next song, this is just going to follow sequentially. So we're going to do uh, episode 67 is going to be what follows Empire Burlesque. So Kelly, let's go ahead and delete Empire Burlesque. Yes. If only we could get rid of all of the songs. Mm, also. That would be absolutely insane and incredible. But no. But impossible. What if we get... <laughs> oh. I mean, this is what happened with uh, with uh, John Wesley Harding. I know, we is, got a million of them right there. Which, uh, in my opinion, was perfectly fine and no problems at all. This would be a nightmare. Kelly, I have deleted Empire Burlesque. We are down to one out of 444. What'd you guess? 71. 71. 72. No shit, really? Oh, you will never get closer than that. Oh my god, I feel like I will. Oof. I feel like that's the same. Wow. That's All right. the same. Alright, for for this, I'm going to let you choose. You're so close. I I'm going to so give you close. 71 and 72. I'm not going to tell you which is which. Okay. And you're going to pick, based on the name, which one we're going to do. Okay. And I think one of them is kind of the only choice, and I kind of don't <laughs> want to give you the choice, because I think it almost needs to be done. Okay. But we'll see what you pick, okay. and then I'll just override you if not. <laughs> Choice number one. Ramblin' Gamblin' Willie. Another Willie. Oh my goodness. Lots of Willies. Lots of Bills. We bring back Bills. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I was dreaming about Bills. Number two. Boots of Spanish Leather. <gasps> oh, I mean, come on. We have to do Boots of Spanish okay, Leather, good, right? Good. Okay, thank God. Yeah. So we're going to go see... Tallest Man on Earth. In November. Uh, I mean, shit. Yeah. Well, probably two months from the recording of the, the next episode. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about Boots of Spanish Leather. We're definitely going to talk about King of Spain by Tallest Man on Earth. So Hell stay yeah. tuned for that playlist. And we'll get to the bottom of this song. Maybe Bob Dylan's most beautiful song. There, wow. I said it. We'll see you next week for Boots of Spanish Leather. Good night. Goodbye. That's awesome.